Listen to God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll begin at verse 8. Already you, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us, apostles, on display at the end of a procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Let me pray as we apply God's word to our lives. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would let us see with clarity the, the harsh words of the apostle, but more than that, let us see the, the rich blessings of grace which are on display for us. Lord, we are people who need your hope, who need your gospel. We need your forgiveness, a forgiveness that comes to us only through Jesus. And so, Lord, in whatever spiritual condition we find ourselves in, whether those who are, who are burdened, and yet believers, Lord, strengthen us, encourage us. Those that are, that are joyful in the hope we have in Christ, Lord, em- empower us for ministry in your church, Lord, for those that, that come even today without faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would let them see the truth of the gospel. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I deserve better than this kind of phrase that that runs through your head multiple times perhaps during the week maybe not that exact phrase but the sentiment i deserve better than this when you've had a difficult week at work and you just want to relax and then everything seems to fall apart at home i deserve better than this when your family just is pestering you and you haven't had a, a moment to yourself and you think i deserve better than this. When you get bad news about your health or, or things just aren't going as well as you would like, I deserve better than this. Because of the, the prosperity with which we as a culture live, because of the comfort that we have come to expect, instead of turning to God in thankfulness for the blessings, we, we actually become people who expect that I should be always happy at every moment of every day, that I should always have everything I want right away because I deserve better than this. So instead of thankfulness and humility, we're people who, who get caught in arrogance and pride. And that's the sin that the Apostle Paul is exposing here in 1 Corinthians 4. It's really the challenge of these opening letters, of these opening chapters of this letter where the Corinthians keep saying things like, look at how great I am, I'm so wise, I'm so wonderful, and Paul keeps saying, no, that's not not a description of a Christian, that's arrogance. And so Paul, in these verses, the verses which we just read, responds with 
with irony, even sarcasm, exposing the foolishness of the Corinthians thinking in and really exposing our own foolishness. So let's, let's look at this contrast that the apostle sets between the, the arrogance of the Corinthians and the, the way that they look at the apostles. So we see the arrogance of the Corinthians, the, the humility of the apostles. Look at, look at the irony, the, the sarcasm even of verse 8. Paul is telling them, he, we, just, we saw last week that in verse 7, the apostle is saying, you have everything that you have spiritually is a gift that's been given to you. And so if it's a gift, stop bragging about it. And yet, that's exactly what the Corinthians are doing. So in verse 8, Paul responds with, with these harsh words, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. See, the Corinthians are acting as if all of the blessings of Jesus Christ are already theirs in fullness. Now, when the Apostle Paul came teaching to them, he would have taught them, because we see it elsewhere in his writings and his preaching, that everything you need you find in Christ. That you who are poor spiritually become rich in Christ. That you who are, who are beggars and servants will reign with Christ. And yet, the foolishness of the Corinthians is, the, is their thinking that they already have it all. That everything, they, that everything that will be promised by Jesus is theirs. See, they're ignoring the, the tension of the world in which we live because we live between the first coming of Jesus. When he came, born a baby, he, was, he, he lived a life of perfect obedience. He died on the cross and was raised from the dead. But then Jesus ascended into heaven where Jesus reigns forever. And yet we live waiting for Jesus' second coming when that reign, that power, that kingdom will be on full display. And, but, but see, the Corinthians are mistaking where they live on the timeline. They're acting as if they live in, in the, the fullness of Jesus' reign, that we have everything. Everything is already ours. And so we're wise, we're rich, we, we're perfected. And Paul is saying, no, there is, yes, the, the promise that, that already you have the blessings of Christ. You have been forgiven. And so spiritually, you are rich. You have received grace, but not in its fullness. There is a, a not yet aspect to Jesus' kingdom. Already, Jesus has started his kingdom, but it is not yet fully realized. And the Corinthians are living as if this is it. Right now, what we have now, this is as good as it gets. We, we, we actually see their confusion more clearly at, toward the end of this letter. In 1 Corinthians 15, that, that beautiful passage about the resurrection of Jesus, Paul is challenging in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, the Corinthians' assumption that the resurrection is just Jesus' resurrection and there is no other resurrection of the dead. It's, that's it. There's one resurrection. There, and so Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can you act as if right now this is everything that there is? Now, you can only live that way. Live as if right now is, is the fullness of God's kingdom if things are going pretty well for you. But see, we live in a part of the world where you can assume that, where you can be confused about that because you have expendable income. You have food on the table. You, you have 
what would look like earthly blessings. And so maybe this is the, the fullness of Jesus. You can say that in a city like Corinth, where people pour their money into this city because of its its significance along the trade routes of the ancient world, where people come to, to worship at the temples, where people come and they, they spend their money on the, the games and the festivities. So you can say that in a place where you appear to have all the power and prestige and position that you might get. You can live as if I have all that I want. I've already become rich. I am living as a king. And we, we can see in verse 8 that, that Paul is, is challenging them because he responds at the end of the verse, how I wish that you really had become kings. I wish that it were true that the fullness of Jesus' kingdom was right here, right now. Because then we who are serving Christ, serving the church, would be kings with you. We would, be, we would reign with Jesus in the fullness of his power. See, they're strong on the already aspect of the kingdom, the blessings that, that we've received, but they're weak on the not yet of Jesus' kingdom. They're behaving as if the age which is to come, the future age of Jesus' full power and authority being on display, they're acting as if that's right here, right now. And so then the apostle challenges them again in verse 10, where he sets this contrast of the way that they think of the apostles. Paul is willing to call himself, look at verse 10, he says, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. He continues, he says, we are weak, but you are strong. We, you are honored, we are dishonored. I mean, these are the exact categories that, that we saw back in chapter 1, much earlier this year. If you look at the very end of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 26, the apostle actually points out to the, the Corinthian church, none of you were wise or strong or honored. And yet that's what you're claiming to be. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 28. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And then look at the application Paul makes in verse 29 of chapter 1. So that no one may boast before him. Do you see what, what the gospel is telling us? You are nothing apart from Christ. You didn't come into this relationship with, with full bank accounts. You didn't come into this relationship with, a, with a, a spiritual pedigree that says, wow, look at all that I've accomplished. No, you were weak, foolish, lowly, because you're a broken sinner. And yet the promise of the gospel is that we in Christ are given everything that we need, everything that we want. We in Christ become spiritually rich. We in Christ will reign with him in his authority. But Paul is, is cutting at the knees the arrogance of the Corinthians and saying, stop pretending as, as if you have it all now. Because the problem is the Corinthians were saying, look at how great we are. Look at how well things are going for us. Well, you know, for the apostles, it just doesn't look like it's going very well. You know what? They must not be as spiritual as we are. I mean, if, 
if bad things are happening to you, it's probably because you're doing bad things. Now, there are times in your life where you should actually stop and consider that. You know, like the, the child who you tell to, you know, not stick something into the outlet. Like, if you do something that's dangerous, it might hurt you. But see, the Corinthians are assuming that's how it always works. If you're being persecuted, it's, be, well, because you're doing something wrong. And look at us, they would say. Paul, look at us. We're not being persecuted. See, we're people that, are, that have standing now in our, in our culture, in our city. People look, at, look up to us. Look at, look at all the, the way people, even within the church, think so highly of me. And so, Paul, if, if things aren't going as well for you, maybe we should really stop and consider who's the wise one here. Paul, it surely can't be you. And so then Paul challenges them. We are fools for Christ. Oh, but you're so wise. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored and we are dishonored. See, Paul is exposing the arrogance of the Corinthian church. And then in contrast, in contrast to the, to the, the harsh, biting irony with which he speaks to the Corinthians, he speaks pretty clearly about himself, the other apostles, those serving in the church. Look with me at verse 9. He says that, that you have become kings, but it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of a procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. See, the Corinthians are embarrassed by the Apostle Paul. He's not a very good preacher. He's not eloquent the way the, the, the sophistic uh, you know, orators who come through town are. I mean, I mean they, can, they can wax eloquently on any topic. I mean, they can convince large crowds of people to do whatever they want. And Paul comes with this foolish message about a dead king, and he just states it plainly. I mean, Paul's not wise. Paul's not strong. Paul is weak, and yet... Look at the image that Paul uses. He says that God has put the apostles on display at the end of a procession. Now, that's not a position of honor. I mean, this isn't like the, you were the, the tail end of the rose parade. No, you are at the tail end of the conquering general's victory parade. The Romans come marching into town to, to make sure, Corinth, you know who's really in charge. And to show you how much power we have, we're just going to put a, a display of prisoners. We're going we're to let them come in after the conquering army to show you what will happen to you if you try and overthrow our power. Now, for the Corinthians, this is an embarrassment. Who would want to be in a position of weakness? But for Paul, this kind of image, having been conquered, Paul can also turn around and, and use as a positive image. In his next letter to the Corinthians, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he'll use the same imagery of a triumphal procession. But instead of being at the defeated end, he, he says, but, but who am I following? I'm following Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14, this is what Paul says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. See, the Corinthians look at Paul's weakness, Paul's ministry, and say, you're like the slave, the POW at the end of the line. Why would I want to be on that side of the equation? And Paul can say, no, I've been conquered, been rescued, been saved by Jesus, and then he's going to use me as a slave, as a servant for his kingdom. I mean, Paul is willing to, to point out that, 
men can, like, like men condemned to die in the arena, those thrown into to gladiatorial combat, those, those being fed to the, the wild animals. Paul is willing to, to put his life on the line for the sake of the gospel, and that's not a posture of weakness. And that's a position of, of power because only would you be willing to die for the sake of the gospel if you understood its, its full impact. Again, in, in chapter 15 of, of 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this, this imagery again of, of being thrown into the arena. In 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul asks this question. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? And we don't have historical reason to think that Paul actually fought wild beasts. It's probably metaphorical. But when we look at the list of things that have happened to the Apostle Paul, he's making clear, I will take my stand for the gospel. I will not deny the the reality of Jesus as Lord. And while that looks like weakness to you, being thrown into the arena, that's a position of power because I understand the truth of the gospel. See, Paul is, is he's offering the contrast. Corinthians, you are, are putting all of your hope in your present circumstances. I've become rich. I've become powerful. I have everything that I want. And so when you look at my circumstances as one who's, who's being persecuted, Paul says, you think this is weakness. No. No, this is a position that that Christ has put me in so that I can serve him. And you really don't have all that you think you have. Because what you really need is still yet to come. And so Paul will continue with with this straight talk in verses 11, 12, and 13. He's described the the way the Corinthians see him as dishonored, but, but he says, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Now to the Corinthians, again, to this view that says, my circumstances determine, my my present circumstances determine the, the reality of the world in which I live. To look at Paul as hungry, thirsty, in rags, brutally treated, homeless, working with his own hands, those are all things that, that they say, I don't want any part of that. I want, a, I want a religion that's going to lift me up and exalt me. It's going to put me in the robes of a king. That's going to put me in positions of power. And Paul, you're not in any of those positions. You have no, no robe on your back. You're in rags. You have no, no castle in which to live. You're homeless. You have no power. You're being brutally treated. And yet notice what Paul says about true discipleship. He says, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. See, true discipleship expects persecution. The Corinthians have a flawed view of of Christianity. That if I put my trust in Jesus, then everything will start going well. Now, in some ways, that might be true. Because when you are persecuted, when somebody harms you, you'll be able to forgive them. Well, that will reorient your relationships. And so that will perhaps bring good change in your life. But in many ways, when you, when you choose to follow Christ, then you are choosing what looks like to the world the losing side. You are willing to say, I will be persecuted. That's what Jesus says to his, to his disciples, to everyone who would follow Jesus. 
pick up your cross and follow me. Discipleship expects persecution, expects suffering. I mean, Paul ends with, with, with a really terrible image here in verse 13. He says, up to this moment, we become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Okay, that's as gross as it sounds. I mean, it's like the slop and slime of walking through an ancient street where the gutters are, are open troughs along the road. And it's the, it's, the, it's the stuff that you scrape off the bottom of your shoes. That's what the world thinks of us. The scum of the earth. The refuse of the world. That's what following Jesus means you will become. And does your understanding of the world actually let you honestly wrestle with that, that challenge we looked at at the beginning? Where you think, I don't deserve this. The world isn't going the way that I had hoped it would. This doesn't seem right. Does your, does your way of viewing the world actually help you make sense of that, that struggle in your own heart? Because I think all of us struggle with that. When things don't go well, we wonder, is this really how it should be? When, when we feel the persecution, we wonder, this doesn't feel right. But actually, in a world without God, and so maybe that's the way you've come in today, not expecting to, to, to put your, yourself under the authority of God, but in a world without God where bad stuff happens, we would all agree to that, that bad stuff happens. In a world without God, can you even, can you even call it bad? I mean, isn't it just expected? It's just stuff. Stuff just happens. In this randomly ordered world where, where it's just this process of, of random sequence of events, then, then when bad stuff happens to you, it's just stuff. And yet we all feel like it's bad. See, Christianity actually lets us wrestle with this. Let's us wrestle with this question of suffering. That this is not how it should be. Yes, I have hope that Jesus has already come, but, but I'm still living in a world that's broken by sin. I'm still facing persecution, and this doesn't feel right to me. Because Christianity lets us look at the not yet, that Jesus has not yet returned. And so the Christian view of the world actually lets us wrestle with, with the bad things of life and call them what they really are, terrible, awful, evil. See, Paul is not saying with the Stoics that, that just expect persecution because persecution will, will, will make you a better person. And if you can transcend persecution, well, then you'll be better. No, he's, he's not saying it in that sense. That He's saying it in the sense that for the sake of the gospel, you will be persecuted. Until the return of Christ, you should expect persecution. And so when we, when we see this contrast, when we hear this contrast in 1 Corinthians 4, between the arrogant Corinthians and the humble apostles, well, see, I know which side of the equation I, I'm going to slot myself into. Right? When you hear it, <laughs> Paul, I'm not, I'm not anything like those arrogant Corinthians. I'm with you. You arrogant Corinthians, you better get your act together. Stop pretending like, like you are the kings of the world. Yeah, I'm really glad I'm here for this sermon because I know a lot of people, a lot of people who need to hear that kind of message. You see, the problem is, I'm not on the side of the apostles in this argument. I'm not. 
I'm here with the Corinthians, with the, the arrogant ones who say, look at all I have accomplished. Look at how wonderful my life is. Look at my spiritual greatness. I wish that all of you were like me. See, I live, I live also in a, in a culture that says, just go out and, and get the stuff that will make you happy. Put yourselves in positions of authority, and everything that happens in your life should make you comfortable. And Kevin, if you are ever uncomfortable, you go about correcting those people that are in your way, and you make sure that every day of your life is comfortable. So that's the world in which I live. And so while I, while I want to stand on the side of the Apostle Paul and point my fingers at those other Christians, I realize that his finger is pointed at me. That the, the arrogance of my own heart says that, that the apostle stands before me and says, Kevin, already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Already you have become kings and that without us. That without the gospel message. That without suffering and pain. And yet, what does it look like to follow Christ? It means to be persecuted to suffer, to be slandered. And so how do I know that, that we are people that identify with the Corinthians, even when we don't want to? Because of the personal anxiety we feel when things aren't going perfectly for us. This isn't what should be happening to me. I deserve more than this. I deserve comfort in this life at every moment. How do I know that we, like the Corinthians, are are those that boast as if we, we have everything we already need? Because of what happens to your hearts when you, when you see a billboard promoting the next or newest thing, you think, well, I really should have that. I'll bet that would make me happier. How do I know that, that we expect everything in this life to go, to go well for us as if we're in positions of power and authority as kings? because of the, the political anxiety we feel when it seems like the world is spinning out of control. See, this isn't how it should be. I should have everything I want now, we think. And yet Paul is exposing our arrogance. He's showing us what it looks like to follow Christ. It means when you are cursed, you will respond with blessing. When you are persecuted, you will endure it. When you are slandered, you will answer kindly. And how? How can you do that? How can the Apostle Paul, while being beaten, brutally treated, while living in rags, hungry and thirsty, how can he say that he, that he really genuinely has everything that he needs? How can he live a life of, of contentedness? It's because he understands the the not yet which is to come, but he knows that it is certain to come. The suffering he faces now is only temporary, the apostle will tell us, compared to the eternal blessing which comes to us in Christ. And you see, the apostle is, he's humble enough to recognize that if Jesus himself suffered, then we who follow Jesus shouldn't be so arrogant as to think we will escape suffering. Jesus himself tells us to expect it. All of the apostles were persecuted. All of them warned the church that they will be persecuted. And, and all of them point us back 
to Christ. I mean, think of the way Christ was treated. Jesus, in rags, beaten, brutally treated. Jesus, who lived a life of perfect obedience, who always answered kindly, was led to a cross, was beaten by soldiers, and was nailed to a cross. And yet think of the way the Apostle Peter describes Jesus' endurance in the face of suffering. Peter tells the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, to this you were called, even to endure unjust suffering, he says. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And the apostle quotes from Isaiah, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judge, judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, how can, you, how can you live in the midst of pain and suffering and endure it and bless others and speak kindly? It's when you know that Jesus died in your place, that Jesus suffered for you, and that Jesus loves you. You see, that's how we move from the, the, the position of the arrogant Corinthians to the humble apostles. It's by understanding the gospel, applying it to our hearts, and considering it when we face persecution, it's unjust, it's unfair, it shouldn't happen. And yet my Savior suffered. And so when I am persecuted, I can endure because I know there is a return, the return of Jesus is certain. His resurrection guarantees my resurrection. I can endure pain right now because of what Jesus has done for me. And we can apply the gospel to our own hearts. We can endure suffering. We can proclaim the gospel because think of it. The, the words that, that the Apostle Paul speaks in, in, in ironic sarcasm to the Corinthian church are really true for us. Already, you have all that you want. Not physically, but spiritually. You have everything that you need. It's been given to you by Jesus. Already you've become rich. Jesus, the one who had all riches, humbled himself and died in your place and has given you the riches of his eternal kingdom. They're yours. Already you have become kings. So you will reign with Jesus. But it's only when we understand where we live in history, between the first coming of Jesus and his certain return, that we can endure the pain and suffering in this life, knowing that we have the blessings which come to us through Jesus. We are able, when cursed, to bless. We are able, when persecuted, to endure. We are able, when slandered, to answer kindly. Leonard Wilson was the bishop of Singapore at the outbreak of World War II. He was arrested by the Kempe Tai, the Japanese military police, on October 10th, 1943 which came to be known by those arrested as the double tenth, 10-10, 
43. He was accused of being a spy because he was a Christian. He must be in collusion with, with the Western military powers. He was tortured. On one occasion, while seven men were, were torturing, and one of them asked him, why do you not scream at us? Why do you not curse us? Why do you not shout at us? Bishop Wilson answered, I'm a follower of Jesus. He was tortured for me. He was reminded of a hymn that he'd sung since childhood, asking God to look on him through the eyes of, through the, the lens of, of him being found in Christ. Look, Father, look on Jesus' anointed face and only look on us as found in him. Bishop Wilson found power in the words of Jesus, words that he spoke while being persecuted. Father, forgive them. He was one of the few to survive the imprisonment. At the end of the war, he was released. After the war, he returned to Singapore to offer words of forgiveness face-to-face to the men who had tortured him. And Bishop Wilson had the privilege of baptizing one of his torturers, a man who turned from the evil and hatred in his own life and found hope and forgiveness in Christ, and the persecuted forgave the persecutor. The man who was beaten and cursed was able to bless. You see, our power to endure, our power to forgive, to bless others, comes only through Christ, only when we find ourselves in him, when we find that we have been forgiven, that we really have spiritually become rich in Christ, then we can be generous with his grace. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would strengthen us for service in your church, Lord, that even as our hearts have been laid bare, our sins have been exposed this morning, that you would extend to us forgiveness and grace, that we would find in Christ all that we need. We would find the riches of his kingdom, the forgiveness that we hope for. Lord, that you would let us look on the world in which we live with, with clarity, seeing both your grace at work in our lives, but also the, the remaining effects of sin in our own hearts, in the lives of people around us. Lord, use us for your purposes. Lord, as we listen to your word, I pray for those that, that sit here and resist, that try and keep your grace away. Lord, that you would invade their lives with the power of your gospel that you would let them see the forgiveness that is, that is offered, the hope and the riches spiritually that come to us through Christ. Lord, give us the power to endure, the, the freedom to bless others. Let us live in the, rich, the richness of your forgiveness. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Rescuer, Jesus, the one who died in my place on the tree. Amen.